Well, I'm not ready for y'all to plan my funeral yet, but uh, I told them that's the song I want sung at my funeral, my favorite song. It just reminds me of how uh, blessed we are to have and know the greatness of God, how great thou art. You know, I should not be here today. I should be somewhere in the state of Illinois. And the reason is because I should have been born in Illinois instead of Glasgow, Kentucky. You say, well, how could they make that kind of mistake? Well, because I am the son of a double orphan. Now, we know what an orphan is. If you're a single orphan, that means one or one of your parents, your mother or your father are missing. If you're a double orphan, that means your mother and your father are missing. So I am the son of a double orphan. My mom was, her parents died when she was young. She had a younger brother. But it was during the time in the 1920s up until the 30s when actually out of across the Midwest, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, when they were having orphan trains traveling from east to west because there were so many orphans, but there were farmers in Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa who would be able to or agree to take an orphan and to let them live with them, love them, give them a place to work, food on the table, a roof over their head, that they couldn't live in the larger cities in the east. So they had, if you look this up, what they call orphan trains that travel from the east through the Midwest. My mom was in that generation. Fortunately for her, she didn't have to get on a train because there was an aunt and an uncle from Cave City, Kentucky, who said, we'll take Margaret, the oldest, and an aunt and an uncle in Danville, Illinois, who said, we'll take the younger one, the brother. And so mom was not privileged to grow up with her brother, but she was able to have food and love and care. But all of a sudden, I realized the challenge that she had that she shared the story with me of missing her brother and only seeing him maybe once a year, sometimes every two years. And it was, a, it was a sad, melancholy kind of existence. Even though she was loved, she was cared for, she uh, had, uh, you know, whatever she needed in her life, they weren't rich. But I thought, you know, to grow up as a double orphan, that means you don't have the biological connection to your parents. You feel at times, matter of fact, I look, I said, you know, I wonder what kind of emotional roller coaster my mom went through. And if you look up on psychosocial issues today, it will give you a list of what orphans often go through, even though they are cared for. Sometimes they feel abandoned. They feel destitute. They feel like they're different than someone else in emotional ways. Well, you know, in that situation, God even works for good. There again, I was blessed to be born in Glasgow, Kentucky. Nothing against Danville, Illinois, but I love Kentucky. Never felt led to leave Kentucky. Don't aim to leave Kentucky. And so I am privileged even though I shouldn't be here because I'm the son of a double orphan. You know, in the Bible, Jesus was with his disciples right after, just before his crucifixion in the upper room in the Lord's Supper. They were gathered around that table. He told them, he said, a few days from now and you will not see me. I will be leaving you because of the cross, his burial, his resurrection. 
We knew that was coming. But here's what Jesus said to them. If you want to turn your Bible to this passage, it's found in John chapter 14, verse 18. It's a simple word, and you can read the entire chapter and get the context. But I thought as I read this a few weeks ago, I thought, you know, this is, this is all I need to say about this right here, being the son of a double orphan. And that is simply the title of this sermon is what Jesus said to his disciples. I will not leave you orphaned. In other words, I will not leave you alone. I will not give, leave you in destitute. I will be your father. I will be your brother. I will be your friend. It, what does he say? He said, I will not, it's pretty simple what he says, I will not leave you comfortless. And then you say, well, how do you get orphaned out of that? Well, it's kind of interesting because in the Greek language, we talk about the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is paraclete, where Jesus said, I, I won't leave you alone. I'll send another comforter to you. That will be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is known as the paraclete. The word literally means one to come alongside and stand by you and with you. That's what it, it went. I didn't say parakeet. I said paraclete. Actually, the word right there in your notes. And the comforter is the paracletus. When Jesus said, uh, if I go away, I will leave you another. In another situation, Jesus uh, used the word here, though. He said, I will not leave you comfortless is a different Greek word. It's the word orphanos, from which we get the word orphan, abandoned, without that uh, biological connection in our lives. And so that's why Jesus didn't say, I'm just going to give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit to comfort and to guide and to strengthen you, but I will not leave you orphaned, comfortless, because I want you to know the emotional, spiritual presence of God in your life. You see, these disciples were anxious. They were they were confused. They were uh, distressed. They were fearful in what was going to happen in the future. Who of us have not faced during this pandemic some amount of stress that we didn't have before? We all have stress, obviously. We all have apprehension. We all have those moments when we feel that. But so many people I've talked to who've gone through the pandemic and even after vaccination to say, you know, a part of experiencing this past year has not been, uh, would I be able to do this or do that? But it's just the stress, the apprehension of not knowing exactly what the future is. Uh, last night, uh, the number 17 will always be it's in my mind as a different number because my mom died on November the 17th. Last night was April the 17th, every 17th. Maybe I'll get past this, but it's only been five months. Maybe I'll get past thinking every 17th that that marks another marker that my mom passed away. Now, I'm not totally grieving because my mom was 95, even though she was double orphaned. She lived a prosperous, meaningful, God-filled, spiritual, God-directed, uh, confident life, productive life. And so I, but I grieve in the fact that I don't have the opportunity myself to be in her physical presence like I have been all of my life. And so you miss those moments. Well, that's what the disciples were afraid of. Jesus said, I'm going away. And they're thinking, well, well what are we going to do? 
We've been following you around for three years, so what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, Jesus said, well, don't worry about it because I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send a comforter, but I'm also going to provide for you through all circumstances, through all circumstances. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. He says, you say, well, in what kind of places uh, would... Would Jesus be able to comfort them? Well, when there's trouble, uh, the disciples, you remember one of the times the disciples were filled most with apprehension and stress wasn't a pandemic called COVID-19. And they were on a fishing, they were on a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and a big storm came up, sudden storm, sudden storm. And all of a sudden they felt fearful. They felt anxious. They felt abandoned. They felt destitute. They feared for their life. But Jesus came to them. As a matter of fact, they asked. There's, a, there's an old song written about this very expensive. It says, Master, carest not that we perish? The winds and the waves and the billows they blow. Master, carest not that we perish? That's what they asked him. He said, no, I told you I wouldn't leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. And when you are in trouble, when storms come in your life, when you are afraid, in that storm where you felt fear, Jesus went on to say in John chapter 14, you know this, John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart, what? Be troubled. Let it not be, what? Afraid. For I will be with you. That's God's promise to us. So sometimes the thing that he wants to comfort us in and not leave us abandoned and destitute over is trouble. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's a guilty conscience. All of us are sinners. Last night, I don't know why this came up on my phone, but I, I was going to hit uh, Google, uh, I mean YouTube, to, to watch Stephen Curry, who's been on, you probably don't watch basketball as much as I do, but Stephen Curry, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, has owned it. He's on a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I mean, he scored 53 points, 42 points last 94, scored 47 points. And so I'm looking at this guy because uh, I buy Christian gymware with his name assigned to it. It's called Active Faith because he is a very, he's not outspoken, he's not abrasive, but he doesn't apologize for being a Christian. So all of a sudden I'm Googling this and uh, up comes uh, an episode of Johnny Carson. Anybody remember Johnny Carson? Well, he was interviewing Billy Graham on a late night show. Now, I know for you folk, young folks now, I don't watch late night anymore, even though I'm up late, but you know, now you got who? Jimmy Fallon and uh, some other characters. I don't know who they all are, but anyway, Johnny Carson back in the day. So he's interviewing Billy Graham, and uh, Billy Graham is sitting there with. Uh, with Johnny Carson, Johnny said, uh, can I ask you a personal question? He said, could, could you think you could name all the Ten Commandments? And Billy Graham said, well, I know. but Johnny Carson says, well, I know I couldn't. He said, well, Billy Graham says, I think we could soon figure it out. But he said, it doesn't matter whether you can remember them all or not. We have all broken every one of them. Johnny says, Really? He said, yeah, that's why the Bible says we've all sinned. Because the Bible says if you've broken one of these commandments, guess what? You've broken them all. That's what the Bible says. That's not my word. That's not Billy Graham's word. If you've just broken one of them, you've already broken them all. You know why? Because you can not only break the Ten Commandments, literally, figuratively, physically, you can break them in your heart. 
by the attitude, the disposition that you show toward others or toward God. So Billy Graham looks at Johnny Carson. He said, Johnny, he said, that's why you're a sinner. <laughs> and he said, even Ed McMahon, he's a sinner too. Johnny Carson said, well, I tell you what, if they were doing the Ten Commandments over, when they looked at Ed, they'd add four more commandments to the Ten. <laughs> Maybe that would figure for some of us. But the good news is, Jesus said, I won't leave you in your guilt. I won't leave you in your sin. He said, I will come to you. I will bring to you an awareness. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, you keep reading this chapter. Um, Jesus keeps talking about all that he's going to provide for them. In verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, God does not intend for you to uh, walk around with a big cloud of guilt over your head. You see, because that's why the Bible speaks of condemnation. And Paul said to the Roman church, there is therefore, what's it there for? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Break the Ten Commandments? Oh yeah, we've broken them all. Because we've broken one of them. We've broken one of them. We've broken them all. But he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, once he's got past verse 18, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give you a peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. So God has promised not to abandon us, to orphan us in any situation Trouble, fear, sin, doubt. You know, I've been a Thomas in my life so many times. You probably have too. Because Thomas, even after the resurrection, when Jesus came to them, Thomas said, I don't know if I can believe unless I see your hands where they're nail prints and see your side where the spear was jabbed into your side where you were nailed to the cross. And Jesus said, well, here are my hands. And here's my side. You see, God says, I will come to you in that kind of moment. You know, uh, notice something else, this phrase. Not only, he says, I will not leave you orphan because he will, that's where he will hush your heart and give it a measure of peace and trouble and fear and aftermath of sin and doubt and loneliness and depression. But notice the other phrase. He says, I will wait till you decide to come to me. Is that what he says? No. He said, I will come to you. So when does God come to you? Well, sometimes when the doors are shut. You shut the doors. But he keeps, as I said last week, he keeps knocking anyway. He just comes to your door. In the certain circumstances of life, he comes to knock on your heart's door and he said, I'm here. There's no reason for you to be destitute, to feel abandoned. I am with you. I will be with you. So open the door. You know, doors are, are opportunities to make good decisions. You made a decision to come in that door today. You made a decision to sit on these seats. That means you made a decision to honor God on this Lord's day. Now, that was a good decision. We don't always make good decisions with our doors, but doors always give us an opportunity. And watch this. Doors usually that we go through or don't go through determine our destiny in life. Because there's some people who've not walked through the door of salvation. Some people, even though Jesus has come to the door, the door is shut. Sometimes he comes to you when you least expect it. 
in a moment, you think, is that really, is that really God speaking to me? Uh, sometimes he comes to us when we are gathered. He promises that he will. He said, when you're gathered together, two or three, I will come and I will meet with you. He promises to come with you in those moments when you don't have the full picture, but you're trusting him for one step at a time. You know, I was thinking about my grandson uh, when Josh was doing about Jonah and the big fish here. Uh, we call it a whale, a big fish of some kind. But when my grandson was growing up, his mom and dad used to read Bible stories and had a big Bible book kind of like this with pictures in it. And uh, so I'm over there. <clears throat> he's about four years old. He said, Papa, I'm going to read you Bible story. I said, okay, about, uh, about Daniel and about lions. And I said, okay. So he, obviously he wasn't reading the story. At this point, he was just giving me his version. He said, I want to tell you, he said they threw him in the, in there with the lions, and he said they growled, and he looked to God, and the big fish spit him out. <laughs> well, he had his facts a little bit off, but he had his theology right. It was God who met Daniel in the lion's den and Jonah in the mouth of a big fish at an unexpected time. And so God comes to us and he says, when you're gathered, when the doors are shut, maybe when you least expect it, he just says, I will come to, that's a personal pronoun, by the way, you. So when else does God come to you? When you believe, when you believe. These are written, look at John 20, 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me ask you a question. Have you received what God has sent you? Have you believed what God has said to you? That he will not leave you orphaned, spiritually speaking. He will come to you. So, that's your decision. That's your door of opportunity to believe, not to believe. If you believe, the Bible says repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, um, there's another pastor other than Billy Graham that I've always enjoyed and been inspired by. His name is uh, his Montgomery Boyce. He's a, he's a pastor of a rather large church but I have his commentaries on the book of John. So I look up and I'm studying about, okay, how can I present this and what, how does this speak to me? So I, you know, I think in my outline ways to speak to you. And I read the story when I looked at John 20, 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. And Pastor Boyce told about, he was living in the Midwest. His grandparents lived in Florida. And so they decided to plant an orange tree on his behalf on his birthday. And as he grew older and as the tree uh, began to be able to produce the fruit of oranges, every year at Thanksgiving, they would send him a bushel of oranges from his birthday tree that was with his grandparents in Florida. 
And he said, I can't tell you, when I was young, I didn't think much about it. But as I got older, every year about Thanksgiving, I began to anticipate my grandparents sending me, uh, sometimes it was an entire bushel or half of whatever my orange tree planted in my behalf in Florida was producing, they would send it to me. And my grandmother would write in there, remember, these oranges are a reminder that you need to come visit me. You know, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, like a planted tree on Calvary's hill, was the means by which spiritual fruit is born. And with confidence, Jesus could say, because God has sent his son, if you receive that gift, just like Pastor Boyce received those oranges, then I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Let's stand together. I want to ask you to bow with me in prayer. And uh, Reagan will come to lead us, sing a song in a moment of reminder of God's goodness to us, his presence with us, his opportunity, the doors that he does open to us, the door of salvation, the door of comfort. So I'm not for sure. I, I know that uh, during this year, it's been a stressful time. Many of you have felt God comfort you, come to you in, in, in distressing times, in grievous times. My family's not the only one that's dealt with grief this year. So many have dealt with grief uh, by COVID or not COVID. Um, you know, death is real. Loss is real. Some people have lost jobs. Some have lost family members. Some have been disconnected. There's always enough grief. But just may you be encouraged today. Jesus said, I won't leave you that way. I will come. So maybe you need to open the door. Maybe in this moment, you didn't even expect God to speak to you in some personal way in this service, but he has. He's reminded you that when you believe and trust in him, that that's a part of knowing God's personal relationship to you so that you may have peace. So God, we, uh, we thank you today. It is simple, but profound. And every time I read the simple words of John's gospel and how you came and appeared to the disciples after the resurrection for those 40 days, sometimes you came when the doors were shut, when they were fearful, when they were lonely, you showed up. I pray you show up for people today. I pray that you show up for people today to bring comfort, healing, and strength. I pray you show up today to remind some the need to trust in Christ, to connect with uh, a place that uh, it's called church, a place you established, to gather people together, to remind them that you have come to them as they come to you. So we offer you this moment to speak to our hearts, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.